0: Our scripture reading for today comes from Psalm chapter 72, verses 1 through 19. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, of the people. Give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from river, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlines render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him, for he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their lives and preciouses their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains, may it wave, may its fruits be like Lebanon, and may people blossom into cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This is the word of our Lord thanks be to God.
1: Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful word. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would help us to receive this word on this glorious Lord's Day and that the fact that it coincides with Christmas Day. Lord, we pray now that you would humble our Hearts and open our minds so that we could receive all that it is you want us to hear in today's message, and that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, ever since becoming a father, I've experienced the revival of watching hours and hours of cartoons. It's true. Whether you're talking about singing letters that teach you phonics, princesses who can build ice towers and castles, or even some brave puppy saving their town called Adventure Bay, I have seen them all. But one recurring behavior I've also seen in all of my five children when they're enjoying their favorite cartoon is that they'll run up to the screen, point to a certain character, usually the hero of the story, and they'll say, that's me, Daddy. That's me. I'm her. I'm him. That's That's me. That's me. Parents. Do your kids ever do that? Do your children tend to identify themselves with the hero or heroine of the story that they're watching or reading about? And the answer is, of course. They all do that. All children do that all the time. But have you ever wondered why children behave that way? I recently came across an answer to that question from a cultural anthropologist named Ernest Becker, and I think he hits the nail on the head when he writes these words. This is from his Pulitzer Prize-winning book, The Denial of Death. He writes this, quote, each child grounds himself in some power that transcends him. Usually, it's a combination of his parents, his social group, and the symbols of his society and nation. This is the unthinking web of support which allows him to believe in himself as he functions on the automatic security of delegated powers and quote turns out the reason why our children blend their identity with that brave princess or that powerful marvel hero is because it makes them feel so secure and so significant as they live in this crazy and chaotic world, excuse me, and when you look at that quote I just read, you'll notice that the kinds of people children identify with are not limited to fictional characters that they read in books or watch on the screen. No, they can also see as their hero real flesh and life people, most often mom and dad, but it could be that firefighter that police officer that astronaut maybe even president of the united states and when you realize this then you come to see that this behavior of looking to someone important and identifying with them so it makes you feel important is not limited to just childish behavior case in point have you ever wondered why grown men i'm talking about grown men who wear jerseys of their favorite athletes with their names etched in as they go watch a sporting event have you ever wondered why grown adults who are aspiring musicians will sing covers of their favorite artists and post it on YouTube as if they're the ones who originated the song? Have you ever wondered why ethnic minorities like many of us in this room go berserk when someone who looks like us is starring in a major Hollywood feature film or is playing on the Knicks? Lynn Sanity, hello, right? We all look to someone who we identify as our superior because it makes us feel superior in our seemingly insignificant stations in life. What am I speaking of here, folks? I'm speaking of our heroes, the heroic figure. Every human being that walks on this earth looks for someone to look up to as their hero. And as you can imagine, there are quite a wide variety of candidates that we could say is our hero. But I want to make the audacious claim that scripture says there's only one person and one person alone who should be our hero. Guess who that is? Give up? It's the king of Israel. The King of Israel. We're finishing today our Advent sermon series, which is Christmas according to the Old Testament, where we looked at certain passages in the Old Testament scripture to give us deeper insight and illumination to the true meaning of Christmas. And we end this series by looking at Psalm chapter 72, because here the psalmist is going to show us why the King of Israel should be and should only be the hero that you and I should see as our very own. And it gives us three reasons. Reason number one, because the king is all good. Reason number two, because the king is the greatest overall. And reason number three, because the king sees you as precious. The reason why you and I should see and only see the king of Israel as our hero is because he's good. He's the greatest overall, and he sees each of us as precious. Let's begin with the first point, because the king is all good. Read again our passage. We're starting in verse 1. It reads, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like the rain that falls on mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish, and peace abound, till the moon be no more. Okay, come on back. What I just read to you has traditionally been called a coronation prayer. A coronation prayer, and what that basically is, is the official public prayer that is offered on behalf of a new king on his crowning ceremony, presumably because the previous king, i.e. his daddy, is either dead or is about to die. Now, most Old Testament scholars are somewhat divided as to who actually penned this coronation prayer. Some people think that it was actually written by King David himself. Yeah, as he sensed his impending death, he wanted to write a prayer that would serve as a sense of duty for his incoming son Solomon to be the next king, as well as teach the people of God what kind of prayer they should lift up on behalf of their king. Other scholars think that Solomon himself wrote it. Yeah, as he has taken on the task of being the newly crowned king, as well as the responsibility of making sure that all of his descendants, the future kings, also do the job that he has just taken on, he wrote this prayer out as a permanent job description that would be repeated for in each new incoming king. Now, here's the thing. For our purposes here, it doesn't really matter in knowing who actually wrote this psalm and this uh, prayer. What is important for us is to understand what the main job description of the king of Israel was to be. And what is that? The king of Israel's main job description was basically to be the hero of God's people. Let me say that again. The main job description for the king of Israel was to be the hero of God's people. Now, I know we hear that, and that sounds kind of ridiculous in our culture, right? Because we limit that word hero to fictional characters who fly through the air, or have laser beams shooting out of their eyes. But I hope you would believe me and agree that that is not what defines a hero. Because heroes are not defined by their supernatural abilities. No, a hero is defined by really one thing. And that is their commitment to fight against evil and injustice. That's a hero. Yeah, a hero is defined as someone who is committed to fighting against evil and injustice. Case in point, do you remember the Green Lantern's oath? Green Lantern's oath. It's the oath that Hal Jordan would say to summon the cosmic powers of the Green Lantern Corps to turn into the Green Lantern. In case you've forgotten, it goes like this brightest day i I practice this make sure it sounds really cool brightest day and blackest night no evil shall escape my sight let those who worship evils might beware my power green lanterns light and he turns into the green lantern look at how the green lantern oath defines a hero it's not centered on the power of the green lantern core itself but the commitment of the person who wields the power to what to make no evil escape his sight, whether it's done in the brightest day or darkest night. Hold on to that thought as I read to you again, verse 5. May they, evildoers, fear you while the sun endures, brightest day, and as long as the moon, darkest night, throughout all generations. Sounds similar, right? What does that tell us? It tells us that even though there's no such thing as heroes from another world, there are most definitely heroes that fight evil in this world that truly exist. Oh, yes, there are. And because that is so, we see the first thing in our psalm, the first task, the first responsibility that the hero must do in order to adequately fight evil, which is what? Read again verses 1 and 2. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The first thing that a hero must do is really focusing on what he must be. He must be a person who is righteous and just, or to simply more put it, He must be a good person. Yeah. The first thing that a hero must do is that he must be a good person. Now, you hear that and you're like, "Uh, isn't that kind of duh, pastor? Don't we all know this? In fact, it kind of sounds stupid of you to have to bring out the obvious. Don't we all know? Don't we all agree that the thing that makes a hero a hero is that he is a good person? Well, I'm not so sure. Evidenced by the fact that the types of people, our culture today, are elevating our heroes, whether you're talking about fictional heroes like Black Adam Right? or maybe certain political candidates like certain presidents, not necessarily the most impeccable characters that we would say are good people. Right? Perhaps this is why we hear so often that phrase, hey, you should never meet your heroes. Have you guys ever heard that before? It's a growing popular phrase we see so often, hey, you should never meet your heroes at all. <laughs> why do people say that? I think people are saying that because they're discovering that when they do meet their heroes, they are not what they assumed, and dare I say, they are not who they hope to be, which is another way of saying they are not good people, which begs the question, what happens to a person when they meet their hero and they discover they are not as good as they hoped that they be? A few years ago, I saw a movie called oh, An Ideal Husband based on the Oscar Wilde play of the same name, and it's basically a story about a British politician named Sir Robert Kiltern, and the thing that made Sir Robert so st- so popular and so unique, is that unlike his political peers, he was actually a good and decent guy. Yeah, he was a good moral person who used his political power for the good of British society not to prop up his own brand. Yeah, everyone loved him. Everyone looked up to him, especially his own wife, Gertrude. In fact, for Gertrude, her husband was her personal hero, hence the title of the play, The Ideal Husband. But here's the thing. As the story progresses, we come to find that Sir Robert, he's not so good. He's not so ideal. Yes, yeah, scandal from his past emerges that reveals that he's not as good as everyone thought that he was, the way he tried to portray himself to be. And when Gertrude discovered this about her husband, she said these heart wrenching words to him She said, You were to me something apart from common life, a thing noble pure. The world seemed to be finer because you were in it. Goodness more real because you lived. You know, when Gertrude believed her husband was good, it says she believed that good actually existed, which makes you wonder. Now that she knows that her husband is not good, what does that imply in terms of her belief in the existence of goodness? Doesn't it imply that maybe Just maybe goodness doesn't exist at all. And if there is no such thing as real goodness, then isn't it really worth going through all the sorrows, all the sufferings, all the stress that is usually required to do good things, to fight for the good things of life, like against evil and injustice? Well, more and more people are saying, no, it's not worth it. It's not worth doing any of this at all. But here, our psalmist is saying, yes, it is. Don't you dare believe the lie that it's not worth fighting for good in this world because there is in his existence a true hero who really is good. It is the king of Israel. And because the king of Israel exists, all the good that you fight for, even in your seemingly insignificant life, is not in vain. It's not pointless. It is worth going through all the hardships, all the heartache, all the sacrifice, all the suffering that you must in order to fight for the good in this world because there is a good person. He is the king of Israel. This is why we need our hero to be good because it gives us the fortitude. It gives us the faith. It gives us the hope. It gives us the endurance to emulate him by fighting for the good in our lives. Now you hear that and you think, wow, That's awesome. That's inspirational. Maybe that's all that we need our hero to be, just to be good. Actually, that's not the case. Because aside from being a good person, we need something else from our hero. And to tell you what that is, I go to my next point, because the king is the greatest overall. Let's pick it up where we left off, starting in verse 8. We read, may we have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all the kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Okay, so here we see the second thing that we need our hero to do in order to be the hero we need. He must be the greatest overall. The greatest overall. Listen again to how he's described at the beginning of verse 8. May he have dominion from sea to sea. That word dominion is not simply referring to the king's ability to conquer and to dominate all of his enemies. That word is also referring to the king's ability to have positive influence and impact from people to all walks of life, from all cultures, different backgrounds, different settings. Everyone would agree that this king is so awesome, so amazing, so awe-inspiring that he should be recognized, he should be revered, he should be respected by all. To put it in our modern parlance, he should be the GOAT. The goats, actually, that's actually not correct. Let me back up for just a moment. Because the way the psalmist is referring to the king is not that he's the, you know, greatest of all time on the battlefield or the greatest of all time in terms of diplomacy or the greatest of all times in terms of politics. No, the way the psalmist is referring to the king here is that he is the greatest over all things for all time. In other words, he is Goat fat. G-O-A-T-F-A-T. The greatest over all things for all time. That is who the king of Israel is. Look at the types of people being described in verses 9 to 10. You have rich people. You have poor people. You have educated people. You have uneducated people. You have people who live in the desert. You have people who live on the coast. You have people who are tribesmen. You have people who are royalty. You have groups of people who have nothing in common and hence would agree with nothing except for the one thing that they all are unanimous about. The king of Israel is someone whom everyone should rightfully bow down to, to whom all the wealth of the nation should be given to, because he is goat fat. He is the greatest over all things for all times. And that, the psalmist says, is the kind of hero you need. You don't just need someone who's just a goat in one category of life. You need someone who is the goat over all things. That's the hero you need. And you hear that, and you're like, why? Why? Why can't we just settle for a hero who's just the goat in basketball or the goat in politics? Or why do we need the goat fat? Well, let me explain uh, with this illustration. You know, there's a recurring narrative that we see often in a lot of these hero movies that Hollywood keeps spitting out, right? And that is a narrative is that whenever a hero defeats his enemies, it's always a short-lived victory. Because hidden in some corner of the world or in some unknown region of the galaxy, there is a more formidable foe, more threatening, more dangerous than any previous enemy a hero defeated. So that when he shows up, everything that the hero has accomplished, everything that the hero achieved is now being jeopardized, right? We see it all the time. Iron Man defeats Ultron. He now has to face Thanos. Batman defeats the Joker. He now has to face the Penguin. Superman defeats Lex Luthor. He now has to face Black Adam. Over and over, we see this idea that this great hero is always being assailed by innumerable enemies, always potentially jeopardizing all the great things that he achieved. Meanwhile, in those rare moments, when a hero gets defeated, when a hero actually dies... All those who put their hope in this hero dies themselves inwardly. They get destroyed. Their hopes get diminished, and they get traumatized by this. Now, what I'm describing here doesn't just happen to nerds who are into their favorite comic book heroes who end up dying. This is the kind of trauma that happens in real life with their real-life heroes. Case in point, back when I was in elementary school, third grade to be specific, I had a classmate, Daryl, and his personal hero, his grandfather. Yeah, the way this guy talked about his grandfather was like how I used to talk about Superman. He was larger than life. He did everything right. He did everything correct, perfectly. You know, knew every answer to every problem, to every question. Nothing that his grandfather couldn't do. His grandfather was his personal hero. But then one day, Daryl came up to me and shared the devastating news that his grandfather was dying. Years of smoking cigarettes finally caught up to him in the form of lung cancer You know, when I was in third grade, I must say, I'm I'm kind of decent in the wisdom category, but I wasn't so much in third grade. And I literally said to Daryl, like, what are you going to do when your grandfather kicks the bucket, man? I think I said it that way, right? Are you going to be okay? And in the most austere and serious tone that a third grader could muster, he said to me, shut up, man. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, my grandfather's never going to die. He's going to live forever. Now the way he said those words made it clear that this kid wasn't just hoping his grandfather lived forever, but he almost needed his grandfather to live forever. Why? Because that was his hero. And if your hero gets defeated, that means everything that he's ever said about you, everything that he's ever done for you gets disputed, gets discredited, gets disintegrated, leaving you in a sense of despair. And that's exactly what happened to poor Daryl. Before his grandfather passed, he was so outgoing, so gregarious, so risk-taking after his grandfather died, he was like a shell of a person, very quiet, very reserved, very fearful and anxious all the time. That is what happens when your hero is defeated. All the hope that not only you had in him, but the hope he inspired you to have about life gets diminished, gets destroyed, leaving you in despair. But here in our passage, the psalmist says, that kind of scenario can never happen to those who look to the king of Israel as their hero. Why? Why? Because he's goat fat. He's the greatest over all things for all time. Yeah. Nothing in all creation can dethrone him. Nothing can defeat him. Nothing can disintegrate. Anything that he has done, decide, or decreed. Which means anyone who is dumb enough to go up against him will end up with the same outcome as it speaks of in verse 9. They will lick the dust. In other words, the only thing enemies that dare to go toe-to-toe with the king of Israel have nothing left to feast on except the thing that they're buried in dirt right now it's at this point i have not specified in identifying who the king of israel is but given that this is christmas i think you know who the king of israel i'm speaking of you should know it because we sing about it all the time we sang it last night born is the king of israel i'm talking about jesus right Jesus is the hero you should look to, to give you the hope you need to live in this dark, despairing, disgusting world that we do. And yet so often many of us in here, we don't see Jesus as our hero. Yes, we'll see him as our friend. We'll see him as our savior. But we don't understand those categories in the context of him being our hero. And I'm here to tell you now, folks, Jesus is the hero that you must see is the hope of your life. And to persuade you of this, let me go to my final point. Because the king sees you as precious. Read again with me verse 14. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Here the psalmist tells us how the king of Israel sees those who look to him as their hero. How does he see them? Precious. Precious. And not in some generic way where the general concept of mankind is precious to him. No, he sees individuals that make up mankind as being personally precious to him. How do I know? Look again at what it says. Precious is their blood in his sight? One thing you need to understand about ancient kings is that they had no problem squandering the blood of their soldiers on the battlefield for their own selfish, ambitious gains. Yeah, Many ancient kings would send their troops into a fruitless, pointless battle because it would gain them some political uh, power or just give them some more attention, right? In other words, ancient kings treated the blood of their own people like it was the wastewater after you do a load of laundry or after you take a bath. It was completely worthless. But here it says that the king of Israel sees the blood of his people as precious which is another way of saying he finds the individuals whose bodies pulsate this blood in life are precious to him. And when you understand this, then you understand why Jesus must be the hero you hope in. Because if there's anything, anything that we need to believe is true more than anything else that gives us security and significance in a world that's always making us feel insecure and insignificant is that you are personally precious to God. Let me say that again. If there's anything that you and I need to feel so secure and significant in this world is that we are personally precious to God. And guess what? That's exactly what the message of Christmas teaches. What is the message of Christmas? The message of Christmas is the second person of the mysterious triune Godhead, the eternal son of God, came into the world as man to be the king of Israel, to be the hero of his people. Why? Why did God do this? So that the idea of you being precious in his sight could not be disputed. It could not be discredited. Think about what I've been saying up till now, right? There are really two things that can discredit and dispute the idea that you are not precious to God. Number one, if God, Jesus, if he's not a good person, yeah. If Jesus is not a good person, you cannot trust anything that he says, including what he says about you. Because he doesn't have the credibility and therefore believability of anything that he does or says, Would you ever trust the words of somebody that are so nice and flattering about you, knowing that they have poor character, they are chronic liars? Of course not. But that is not our Jesus. Jesus is truly, unlike any other hero, perfect. He is flawless. He is sinless. The theological term is impeccability. He is not capable of sinning. He's not even able to desire or to be motivated by sinful motives. Jesus never once gave in to sin in spite of all the attempts of Satan's allurements and enticements and threats. He never once sinned. And because that is so, when God says, you are precious to me, you know he has the credible character to back up those words about you. But here's what's even more astounding. Christ's perfect character doesn't just make the idea of you being precious to God credible. It justifies it. It justifies it. What do I mean? Jesus had a lot of enemies, right? Satan, sin, death are the most prevalent ones, right? And if his enemies were able to defeat him, that means everything that Jesus achieved and accomplished could be destroyed. By the way, that's the second way the idea of us being precious to God can be disputed and discredited if Christ's enemies defeated him. But was Christ defeated absolutely not as i said a moment ago satan tried to corrupt the character of christ try to entice him into sin but he did not he was morally spiritually righteously perfect and so when he was killed on the cross death death had no right to keep him in custody and therefore three days later he conquered the grave he conquered sin he conquered satan thereby forever securing the main thing he came to do which is what What is the main thing that Jesus came to do? Simply put, he came to justify you to be precious to him. See, when Jesus lived his perfect life on your behalf, being righteous for your sake, and he suffered the full punishment and penalty of death and condemnation of God for your sake on your behalf, not only were you justified in believing you are precious to God, you were actually justified in being Precious to God. Let me say that again. Through the work of Christ in his perfect life, his death and resurrection, God justified you in not only believing you are precious to God, but actually making you become precious to God. That is what the gospel teaches us. And that is what our great king did for us. And that is why he should be your one and only hero. There are so many candidates and people things that are out there that we can look to as our hero. But I doubt any of them are capable or willing to do what Christ has done for us as the hero of our lives. And given that Christ endured so much to do what he came to do for you to be precious to him, I think it goes without saying that you should probably look to the idea of you being precious to God as the greatest hope in your life. And that gives you the inspiration and motivation to live a life of endurance, a life of faith, a life of valor, a life of hope. Even though this world tries to tear us down. If there's anything that I believe we need to take away this Christmas season and in fact in every season of your life. Is that Christ is and was and will forever be the only hero we need to give us the security and significance we instinctively and universally crave for that cannot be met by any other hero that is out there today. The question that I leave with you is, will you look to him as the hero that he is and bow down to him as the king of your very life? Let's pray. Father, I ask now that as we finish this series and now as we finish our celebration of Advent, That we would not stay as we entered into this season, but instead we would emerge more aware and therefore more humbled and submissive to the one who truly is our hero, the one who is truly the goat fat. God, so often we let our our jollies get so giddyed over people who are so inferior to you to be the one to we look to as our hope, as the source of meaning and inspiration, the source of value that we have by identifying with such inferior heroes. Lord, forgive us. And instead, guide our faith back to the only person who can give us the security, significance, and value that we know we need in order to live out the life that we would desire to live, a life that allows us to look at ourselves in the mirror, that allows us to be proud of the children who look up to us as their examples father we need you to once again to show us the true meaning of what this christmas season is all about where we gather around the wonder of our great king our great hero your son jesus christ may that always be true not only of this day but every day of our lives for we ask all these things in the mighty name of our lord jesus and all god's people together said amen